Welcome to Global Minnesota Podcast, connecting, informing, and engaging Minnesotans with the world and exploring important international issues. For a complete list of programs and to join us, visit globalminnesota.org. Welcome back, everybody from around the planet who are joining us today for International Day of Education. The morning was an incredible view, global, local, focusing on the future. This afternoon, we're gonna talk about some of the really important parts of international education, about exchanges, some of the things that are crucial but have been dramatically impacted by the COVID-19 pandemic, but they've also brought out some of the most creative, some extraordinary new ideas and innovations. Our first guest and our one of my favorite everyday reads is a longtime international education columnist for the Chronicle of Education. Karen Fisher also has a newsletter, Latitudes, which I wanna really recommend to all of you. We'll get to that later. Um, but uh, Karen joining us today by Zoom and it's a fantastic opportunity and a great privilege, Karen, to have you speaking with us today. Let's get right to it. You've been watching international education students coming and going. It's a very big part of how we connect with the world and COVID has had a big impact. What did you see and how did people react? Well, thanks first, Mark, for, for asking me here today. Um, you're right. I mean, I think in some ways, international education was kind of the warning sign. The, you know, we, we saw um, COVID's impact beginning to unfold around the globe, I think, before, before most Americans thought it would ever be something that would affect our lives so dramatically. Um, it's had an impact in a number of ways. Um, in terms of international student mobility, um, it's pretty much just ground to a halt. Um, most incoming students were not able to travel um, to the United States to study this year. Um, they couldn't get visas, there were travel restrictions. And so many of them um, either took a year off or are studying remotely. And that, that is, a, I think, a big loss for universities. Um, it's also had um, an effect on Americans um, going overseas. Uh, they, colleges and study abroad groups had to scramble and pull back students from all over the world um, back last uh, March. And uh, most of those students have not been able to travel either. And so, um, and then it's also had a number of impacts just in terms of of research and collaboration, um, you know, because the American higher education isn't um, isn't an island. It you know works with um, universities around the world in so many ways, and and that's just um, it's. I wouldn't say it's not been happening, but it's certainly been happening in different ways this this past year. Well, I know when we began to first hear it, one of the mm, kind of voices that was calling this out as a, something we need to think about. Um, were the many, many high tech companies uh, here in Minnesota, but really all over the planet who have come to depend on the internationalization of scholarship, of research, scientific and engineering. Um, uh, is this going to be the kind of thing that has a long tail that we'll be looking back and saying, you know, we had a, we had a big break there in the middle of some research or the flow of students uh, is this going to be something that we'll need to be taking into consideration going forward? Um, I do think it will have some impact. I think the question is, is the magnitude of it. Mm -hmm. um, I think that certainly we, um, 
um, you know, as I said, we've seen just this this sort of halt to to travel and mobility and international and to, to people traveling across borders to study. I think the real hope that people have is that there is just pent up demand mm -hmm. and that when things resume, you know, when we can travel, when visas are processed, that, you know, the students will want to come here, the researchers will want to come here, um, that Americans will want to go abroad. I think the real question is, um, does it have a lasting impact, maybe even ways we can't quite anticipate now? Um, you know, I think one of the things people, you know, people will say to me, oh, look, say, for example, at 9-11, or look even at earlier pandemics like SARS or MERS, um, there were rebounds, say, in international students coming to the United States, and pretty quickly, in fact. Um, but is this different in some way? Um, do people become more accustomed to studying online and does that change their habits? Do they think about um, studying closer to home? You know, are parents more skittish? And I think one of the real questions, one of the big questions is the perception of how America handled uh, COVID. Does that change how the willingness of, of, of students to, to come? Does it change the you know, does it make parents think twice about um, how safe they feel sending their sons or daughters overseas? I mean, at, at the, the minimum, I think we're going to have a year, year and a half, maybe even two years break um, in this mobility. Um, but is it is it longer term? And, and I'm speaking, I guess, and I'll, I'll stop in a second here, but mostly in the negative sense. But, it, you know, is, is there ways, as you suggested in your intro, that that this leads to innovation and that it changes things, but in, in positive ways. Yes, we've been finding this in some other aspects of education where you can reach people, you can have interactions, um, you know, many of the things that, you know, maybe it took the shock of the sudden change. But for those of us who read you religiously, we know the reporting that you've done about, you know, the difficulties for things like getting visas and some of the other barriers, some of the elements of our national policy. Uh, so there was difficulty, then there was COVID and all of the elements of pandemic, including the economic impacts, of course. Now there's a new element, uh, you know, uh, a giant demonstration, uh, some would use more strong language than that in Washington, D.C., people around the world wondering what's going on. Um, we have always some elements of challenge. Do you see some of our institutions or some institutions in partnership with colleagues overseas being creative, being courageous, being really innovative in how they are tackling in an honest way? these challenges or these um, potential barriers uh, and finding ways to work with them to keep this movement, this is a global movement for international education alive and growing stronger, even though we have these difficult times right now. You know, I was talking to somebody about this very topic and she said to me, um, you know, a lot of the, the, the way this is framed as how quickly can we get back to normal? And she said, I think we should think of this as how can we take this this time, which what is, there are international students here. I mean, many students could not leave. And so we, we do have international students 
in our institutions, but this is in some ways a pause. Can we take advantage of this terrible thing that's happened and use it to, to, to imagine, to think about, you know, what could be, can we think about ways that, um, you know, about the future of international education, of exchange, of study abroad, of, of student mobility, in, the, in a way that we, that many people in the field just didn't have the luxury because they were in the middle of doing. Um, and so on study abroad, for example, I mean, one of the issues that, that has long plagued American study abroad, and that is sort of outbound Americans going to other countries, is they just don't. Um, you know, the numbers are very low. The percentage of college students who go overseas has been pretty stable for a long time. And if you accept, which I suspect most of the people who are joining us today do, that having an international experience or an intercultural experience is, is really critical to the kind of education that American universities want to deliver. How do you get that? And so, you know, I see people experimenting with virtual study abroad, with sort of linking up their classrooms here in the U.S. with overseas um, classrooms and co-teaching um, courses or having group projects in which students from different countries work together. Um, they're thinking about, uh, if not um, not in the classroom, but it, could there be, could we use virtual exchange to um, to give students internship experiences? I, I mean, honestly, most of us are all working remotely now and connecting online and can that be applied to the internship um, aspect? Um, I think colleges are beginning to think, and this is something, I, I, and I should say, I mean, and for the most part, colleges have been having some of these conversations even prior to COVID, but they're beginning to think, okay, maybe if students don't or are hesitant to come to the U.S., are there ways that we can still deliver our education to them, students overseas, without expecting that they're going to come here for four years and earn a, a degree on American soil? Can we partner with universities overseas? Can we deliver our um, what we do remotely? Can we um, can we be creative and, and you know establish some form of, of um, if not a full institution, some kind of programs that students can go to? Can we think regionally and tap um, those kind of networks? And so I, I do think that um, at the beginning of the pandemic, it was kind of triage. You know, we've got to get our students back to, to campus. We have to ensure that our international students are safe and those who can can get home. Uh, but now I think as, as the disease, as the pandemic has stretched, there is this sort of thinking more broadly about what do we want international education to look like into the future? Well, so it's uh, very hopeful for me to hear um, you know, this sort of transition or this sort of transformation over time. I know our organization has experienced this in, in many different areas at first, you know, how do you think? But then over time you begin to say, well, we could reach people around the planet. We could bring in Karen Fisher from the West Coast. We can bring in the head of UNESCO like we did this morning. But I believe this moment now, it's taking that kind of hopeful not being, uh, you know, unaware of all the, the difficulties and things that are going on and beginning to say, let's start highlighting best practices. Let's start highlighting some innovators. 
um, let's start reaching out and advertising the desire, the willingness, the, you know, the mechanisms. Where does a day like International Day of Education, where there's things going on all over the planet, can we turn it into something that's like a global festival that then leads to these kind of connections? Are, are you seeing that? Because that seemed like a craziness or does that seem like some place we are headed if we take ourselves there? I think there's optimism um, among the people that I talk to that that the, the commitment to doing this kind of work hasn't changed. It's just maybe the modes are, you know, I, I talk to, for example, people who um, who are in international student recruiting who say, look, um, I used to be on a plane for three months of the year, traveling around the world, talking to students and their families about why they might want to come to both the U.S. and to, to my college. And yes, I'm missing out on doing that. And the, the way that you touch people and can have conversations on the ground are different. Um, but I could only go to, you know, in those, those weeks, I could only go to so many places. And now I'm having students reach out to me and join in my, you know, meetings and come from all, you know, countries I've never traveled to, who we haven't had at our, our institution. And so maybe that makes me hopeful. Um, and I do think there's a lot of commitment. I mean, I talked to, to, to people in international admissions who are getting up at three o'clock in the morning to talk to students, um, you know, on the other side of the world. I talked to people in study abroad who, who are, you know, planning ahead and trying to think about what it's going to look like. And, and, you know, as you say, I mean, I think um, in some ways COVID has, has made us all suffer. We're all, you know, in our homes and not able to really interact um, and see other people. But in some ways it's, it's, it's really, it's reinforced really the interconnectivity that we have. I mean, you give me a lot of hope. I mean, I have to say for, you know, much of my life, I would say, I would say if I had a magic wand, I would wave it and every young person would have an overseas experience, you know, if I could do one thing. But to then have the pandemic create such change. But now you're describing a way um, that young people at very young ages, but also, you know, young adults and, and that we all could be part of international connections. I remember I visited a school uh, many years ago when I was Secretary of State here in Minnesota, and it was a classroom of 10th graders who were studying our bogs, part of our landscape. They were connected to a classroom in Siberia that was studying um, tundra and studying a similar bogs who also wanted to practice their English. And I was amazed and I was like, wow, look at this. And I realized then, you know, like maybe that's not as cool as traveling and seeing, but that was pretty cool. And what you're helping me understand today is if we are opening our minds and creativity and living with the reality, we will find new things that make it possible, not just for able-bodied people with enough money in their checking accounts to do this and that, but making it really possible for everybody everywhere, a kind of universality. Is the international education movement who really kind of had universality as part of its roots, is this going to be that rebirth and that re-energizing of that global movement? You know, I think we're really at an inflection point. Um, on one hand, um, 
there has, it's been a tough, and it's not just COVID, it's been a tough few years um, here in America. There's been, I think, real questioning about the very principles that kind of underline what we're, we're talking about, the very values that people, um, the people who do this kind of work, um, you know, spouse and, and feel deeply. There, there are people, there are Americans who, who question that, you know, who would, who would see us pull up our bridges and, um, you know, not engaged, you know, and, and certainly COVID with the, you know, the, the under, you know, has led to xenophobia and has, you know, underscored, you know, that there are people who would rather not, um, not engage with the kind of work that, that all of you do. And so that's, that's on one hand. On the other hand, I think you could say that, that COVID has really underscored how, how connected we are, how internationalized we are, how finding problems to, you know, to big challenges are truly global. And um, so in some ways, you, I think you could argue that it, it gives fuel and makes the case for why the work that you all do is important. But it feels like young people have been energizing the leadership on many movements around equity, around climate, around gun violence. You know, just there's an energy coming from youth and young adults that I also hear in some of the conversations about education and about learning and about the future of learning. It may be that we're in that kind of inflection moment as you described it where the values that had to do with sort of learning and sharing and supporting a very small number of people able to move around the planet, welcoming them on steamships in New York was in the early days, something that our organizations was part of supporting with people who went there from Minnesota, et cetera. But today, now that we know that we can all be touched by the same pandemic virus, and all affected by the economic outcome of that, we can take some deeper understanding of the slogan we use a lot in Minnesota from our Senator Paul Wellstone, we all do better when we all do better. We all have the possibility now to be able to understand and to communicate and to share ourselves with others and to learn and be connected with them from overseas. It feels like a year from now, you and I should have another conversation. And we're optimistic enough, maybe at that point, we'd look back and say, wow, that hard period gave us the reminder to really think about where we're going. And these new tools gave us a chance to create a different kind of future. And the young people kind of dragged us along. We're running out of time for today's conversation, but I wanna hear from you. You know, people will be watching this interview over this whole next year, literally. What do you want them to be thinking about as you imagine this convergence and this inflection point taking us into a brighter future? Um, I would simply say that, you you know, it's also about thinking it, about some of the hard realities of um, of what the field has not done well. I mean, you mentioned a number of them, things like equity and access. And so um, as, as people use this sort of pandemic pause to think about 
what is international education going to look like in the future? Maybe it can be um, a better future, one that, that answers the real challenges that we have and that engages many more of our, our students. I think that's that's the hope and, you know, to do something that really uh, can, can, you know, gives, you know, the next generation kind of the, the tools to equip them to, to live and shepherd a, a very global world. Thank you so much, Karen Fisher. Thank you for your everyday watching and nurturing and lifting up international education and for your time today, International Day of Education. And thank you for helping to create that brighter, better future for all the learners and for all of us at all ages. Listeners, stay tuned. We're looking deeper. We're looking wider. Hang in there. We'll be right back. Thank you again, Karen.